Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwatton. Well, Horwatt, I got to like shield my eyes a little bit. You are bright with the new equipment coming in. Great focus here. And if you're watching us on YouTube, you can now see Nick Horwatt in high quality 720 because we still have not upgraded our stream yard. It is what it is. I listen. I just I needed a new computer. I've had mine since the Stone Age, basically, um, <laughs> and I finally got one. So here we are. Hopefully the sound is okay. I'm trying. I'm still trying to decipher. And I know Berlansky, you can hear me here through my microphone. I'm trying to decipher if my computer and where I record to can hear me through the microphone. But uh, hopefully things go well today, and it's not that big of an issue. Hey, that's a problem for the producer, not for. Oh wait, no, I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. That, that would be me. So hey, I'll yeah. figure it out. We'll figure it out. It happens, but. Regardless, uh, not only do we need to figure it out, Pittsburgh Penguins need to figure it out because that was their third straight loss last night in a 3-1 to defeat to the Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll talk about that loss, especially because it comes at the heels of a challenge from the general manager that they did not listen to or answer the bell to on Wednesday evening. We'll talk about that loss, what that could mean with the general manager and president of hockey operations, Kyle Dubas, kind of putting the team to task. We'll talk about what changes might be coming and if changes might be coming with another laid egg in Florida on Friday. And then we put out the bat signal and you guys responded. We have a two-part Penguins mailbag coming to finish off this episode in segments two and three. So we'll get to that in a little bit, but let's start With the Pittsburgh Penguins' loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning, Kyle Dubas spoke with Josh Getzoff of Sportsnet Pittsburgh on Tuesday evening in the GM show. He said, quote, He feels like these two games in Florida will be indicative of where the Penguins are at. Well, if Wednesday night's game was any indicator, they're in a pretty poor position right now, are the Pittsburgh Penguins. They responded with a 3-1 to loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning and were out of it from the very beginning. A very poor performance all around. The effort, I think, was something that was very much highlighted by everybody is how poor the effort was heading into this game. They showed life at certain points, especially in the third period. You saw Crosby, Malkin, and Gensel get a couple shifts together, and they created some offense and eventually scored the lone goal of the game in the final minute of the game, but At the end of the day, just a lackluster performance from start to finish and really the third straight lackluster performance from the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was one of those rare games that I didn't even want to sit down and watch. I couldn't, I didn't want to be bothered with it, really. From the very beginning, we just knew that this team didn't look great. Once they allowed the first goal, it almost felt like it was over. And that's (laughs) rare. You need normally, especially recently, this Penguins team has found ways to come back from one, even two goals down, even two goals down in Tampa Bay um, just last week, essentially. This time around, it felt much, much worse. I think that's just because of how the last handful of games have gone. I know they, I was trying to look at the bright side of things. They had entered that game with points in four straight. 
or flat straight, whatever it may have been. Mm-hmm. Five, and that's yeah. leaning in the right direction, but it isn't getting over the right things. And you just knew it wasn't coming this time. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, it, it, you, it, for the first time, really, that power play didn't, I mean, not for the first time, but finally <laughs> you looked at the power play and just went, I'm not even bothering. I'm just mm-hmm. going to immediately chalk it up as a, as a miss. It's, it's almost offensive. I, 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 I mentioned this before, like I didn't, I didn't grow up playing hockey, so I can't give you the answers of how schemes should look or work, but I can tell you when the numbers are down, and boy, are these numbers down, uh, and it's not pretty. And Duba's saying that these Florida games are going to be indicative of the season. Man, they got three days off after the Florida Panthers game. If things, even if things go right against the Panthers, let's be real, um, things need to change. They got three days off. You know, who knows what kind of maneuvers are made and it's it would have to be something sizable to really move the needle yeah you mentioned the power play they're now oh for their last 34 dropping below 10 percent success rate on the season and at this point it's honestly just like can we decline the penalty and just suck two minutes off the game clock because that's what it is like the only thing is like last night the only improvement that we saw was they didn't give up a grade a opportunity when they were on the power play but they did have a five on three late in the game where they could have gotten on the board and the power play still didn't look good. Like they stayed in the zone. They had zone time, but the, the opportunities and you mentioned that, you know, you might not have played hockey. You might not be able to tell what systems are, but even watching the game, you can tell that something's not working. I mean, this team, I've never seen a team fail so miserably to get the puck into the zone. And it's partly because their breakout system is so poor that it allows the opposing team to just line four guys across the blue line and make it impossible for you to get the puck in and make it impossible for you to get possession. And that's what the Pittsburgh Penguins continue to do. And it's a struggle for this unit. It's a struggle for this team right now. Just in all facets last night, it was it was rough. Not only the power play, but the penalty kill gives up two goals uncharacteristically. I think Tristan Jari had probably his weakest performance of the last couple of weeks. You're not going to put that game on Tristan Jari, but he certainly wasn't sharp in that one. Third line was, I mean, what were the lines at this point? Because Mike Sullivan, when you see a coach like that who is very tried and true on hey, and he's mentioned all season long, hey, we need to give these guys time. They're not going to be able to, you know, figure it out in two seconds. You don't want to keep making changes upon changes upon changes because nobody catches their footing. You see him grasping for any life from this team by switching up the lines. And it was forced in the third period with Brian Russ going down with an injury. But even in the second period, they were throwing things in a blender offensively, defensively. I'm surprised they didn't start switching out the goaltenders after every shift at this point, because Mike Sullivan was just trying to find life in any, any mention of the game for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And not even that, if you consider if you look at the shift chart too, as well, it was more than just, Hey, we're missing out on, or we're, it was more than just Sullivan throwing names and blenders. Get this. Uh, Jansen Harkins didn't play a single shift in the second period. That was the second frame jump. And, uh, uh, Yona Kopanen, who, you know, already isn't playing much played two shifts in the second for under a minute, under a minute time, essentially benched jump to the third period Harkins found a little bit more stability and a little bit more stability in playing time on the ice. And this is a full period without Brian Rust, mind you. Uh, now it's redeems the Horna sitting riding the bench the entire period. You, 
when you're down an injured player, that's normally not the time to suddenly start benching guys. Yeah. Like how down bad does Redeem Zahorna have to be in the eyes of Mike Sullivan for him to see Brian Russ go down with injury? You're not going to have him for the period, and you're still benching guys. You're still taking guys off the ice. You know, Harkins got back in a little bit more. He found a little bit more of a consistent uh, ice time. So did Kopanen for a bit. I think he only had like three shifts, if I'm mm-hmm. reading that correctly. But you're down a key prominent face, and you're still pulling other guys out. Yep. Like that, that's, un- I don't know how many other coaches would do that, considering, again, you're down a guy, you're not trying to gas your other players, but now you have no choice but to. Uh, I I don't I don't have words for this team right now, really. Yeah, and, and here's the thing with those changes and those, those decisions to sit guys and maybe not play guys as much is it's not on performance. It's not on talent, even. If they're not performing well enough, it is what it is, but you need to put them out there. It's on effort. There was no effort from Yuta Kapanen. There was no effort from Redeem Zahorna. Zahorna, that was the biggest indictment on him yesterday because he can struggle. He can he can struggle to be an NHL level talent right now because you know we've never seen him play this many games in a season at this level. But the body language of Redeem Zahorna last night was horrible. You know, there was the one opportunity that I thought he went into the net. He was in the net front. He poked it Vasilevsky, and he said, all right, there's a little bit of fire there. He got planted by Hedman and Sergachev, which is going to happen. But, I mean, he went down so easily. He's six foot six. He went so down so easily, and he just looked like a lost puppy. I don't know what is wrong with this team because it's it's not just the talent because the talent certainly isn't there in some aspects of this game and this team. It's not the talent. It's the effort, and it's the attitude. The attitude of this team right now is that of a losing team, and I don't think I could have ever expected a team that is led by Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, what have you, to ever have that mentality. And it's what they looked like last night in Tampa Bay, and I think that's why it's so alarming that they lost the game in the fashion that they did. Because like you mentioned, when they scored the second goal, I even tweeted it out. I said, well, the way the Penguins have been going, that's probably enough to get it done tonight. And it was. I mean, the Penguins scored a goal in the final minute, but even that goal was close your eyes and and hope because it bounced off of three or four Tampa Bay Lightning before it went in and extended Jake Gensel's point streak to seven games. I guess that's a positive you can take out of it. But at the end of the day, Gensel doesn't care. Crosby doesn't care they picked up an assist on that. No. Uh, the Penguins, they need to start winning games because... You know, the atmosphere and in that locker room can't be good right now. They had a closed-door meeting, according to Josh Yoey, before the media was even allowed in last night. So something's going to have to change, especially considering Kyle Dubas put him to task and they, they went out and they laid an egg. If it is any consolation, there is that Jake Gensel point streak. If it is yeah. any consolation, Sidney Crosby is still on a pretty good pace. If he can help turn this team around... You can have real conversations for Hart Trophy talk, and that's a very good thing to look at. But mm-hmm. at the very moment that we are in, that's not important. Like you said, they are giving like those the core guys, Crosby, Malkin to a degree, even though the points really aren't there. He's trying. Latang always gives an effort. Gensel's really out there giving his giving his all. Brian Rust, when he's healthy, obviously is out there. The core guys, the core group are doing what they can. Eric Carlson is trying. I think it's just not fitting in quite yet the main pieces are giving everything they can Mm. but it's the same issue that happened last year they're gonna have great seasons but what what's it gonna what's it gonna relate to if everyone else is chewing up time and doing nothing 
Yeah. If everyone else is being benched whenever you have injured players. Yeah. The effort isn't there. The attitude isn't there for the, for the, um, I don't want to say for the right guys, but the attitude and effort isn't there from so many names that it's appalling. It's genuinely offensive trying to watch this team sometimes. When the first line is out there, you, you know, you perk up a little bit, you get a little excited because a, you're watching Sidney Crosby. B you understand that this, when it's, when Brian Rust is there, it's one of the best lines in hockey right now. There's still no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. Even in garbage time, they're finding ways to score solid. That's you can't ask for too much more than that. I mean, you can't ask for a lot more than that, but you can't, you know, there's a lot going on. Yeah. You get excited when the first line's out there because maybe something will happen. Maybe something will happen. And every power play opportunity, as dreadful as it is, you, you there's that little modicum of hope, hope right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's the chance there. This is the one. This is the one. This is the one. It never is, but every time the big the big dogs go over the boards, you get a little excited because it's Penguins hockey some way, one way or another. And then for the next, I mean, they play, what, 16, 20 minutes a night? For the next 40 minutes, it's a gong show. You're not even paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I love your optimism about, you know, the fact that those guys are playing well. But at the end of the day, even the best musicians on the Titanic sunk and died. So damn, damn son. I mean, that that's that's the point here. I mean, wh- what do we what are we going for? A hundred point season and a heart trophy for a, a Penguins team that missed the playoffs like that. Sidney Crosby doesn't want that. Sidney Crosby might decline that heart trophy if that's the case, because he doesn't want that. What does he want? He wants to win another Stanley Cup. So, yeah. well, yes, it is nice that Gensel is on a seven game point streak. It is nice that Crosby picked up another assist. It is nice that those two are leading the National Hockey League in five on five points. But the Pittsburgh Penguins lost back-to-back games to the Philadelphia Flyers, and they lost again in the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they've looked progressively worse, and their effort has looked progressively worse game after game after game in these last three. And that's not a that's not a good sign for a team that has a lot of players that are trying to fight for their NHL livelihoods. Redeem as a horn is not going to get that many more kicks at the can. Jansen Harkins isn't going to get that many kicks at the can. Una Kopinen, this might be his only chance. And these guys are coming out here and laying this egg, laying this effort. That's not a good sign. I mean, that's that's a sign that these guys probably shouldn't be playing NHL hockey. Now, whether or not they can turn it around, they can bounce back on that ship, that's a different question that remains to be seen. But as of right now, I mean, it, it looks like there needs to be some pretty drastic changes to the personnel, and that's both in front of the bench and that's behind the bench. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But what do you think happens? Kyle Dubas came out and he said that on that, that GM show. What do you think happens if they lay another egg in Florida on Friday night, you, you got to move the needle somehow. I, the only thing that might, and I don't want to lay some, I don't want to start scaring people. I don't think one of the core is leaving. I'll no. tell you that. I will say though, you do have to keep this in mind. That's likely what got him canned from Toronto is that he probably went to Shanahan and said, I want to move. Probably not Matthews, probably not Tavares. He wanted to likely move Marner or Nylander mm-hmm. um, in the in Toronto's core. Now, that might be what got him canned. Again, he's coming here, and I don't expect that to be the thing. No. I, I'm not even going to say Jay Gensel's in that, in that, on that train. I'm not going to say Eric Carlson's on that train just because we ju- he, <laughs> the Penguins just acquired him, and he's not going to want to go anywhere because he has that contract mm-hmm. uh, locked up. But man, it, it hitting the trade block could be literally anybody else. And maybe yeah. not Tristan Jari because A, he's played perfectly fine. Last game was a bit of a dud. Otherwise, perfectly fine. Yeah. And also just signed a contract. So 
you're going to want to see it through. Everyone else, though, I know I always harp on the new guys are usually safer than normal because they're new. You try and flesh them out. Not anymore. It's That time period has passed. Mm-hmm. At this point, if your name isn't within the top six, and even to a degree, who knows, that unsafe, unsafe ground. So you think a trade or two is coming down the pike? It would have to. Yeah. It would have to. I know Dubas is still new here, and I know that his big – you know his big new deal, you know, the the uh, the marker setter as a new general manager slash president with your team. I know he did that already with Carlson, but it's time for that big midseason move of uh, it's my first year here. Things are not looking great as much as we as much as everyone said they would, and poof, something big needs to happen, and yeah. that's just what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the free agent signing would work that much because. I know we discussed the positives of one, but yeah, what can it really do? Yeah, we talked Josh Bailey, and he's still out there. He's he's yeah. still available somewhere. I don't know if he's sitting on his couch. I don't know if he's working out, but I mean, Josh Bailey is still out there and an option for the Penguins. Elliot Friedman said teams are being invited to watch Ethan Bear. I think. In yeah. case you were curious of a defenseman, but again, this de- they like this defense. I think I. That's I mean, a Ryan ooh. Ryan Graves is a gong show anymore but crystal tang eric carlson i they're, they're not going anywhere marcus where would this team be without marcus patterson that's exact word for word what you tweeted and yeah. that's where where i thought of it and you're right where would they be and they like ludwig a lot ryan shea i think is probably out of the lineup once uh po joseph is back but I, I think they like this defense so i don't know if a defenseman gets added unless they i don't know that's a speaking of Ryan Graves though, because that's a hard one because he just signed a long contract. Yeah, you would have to eat a lot of that contract coming back. I don't think that that's a movable contract at this point yeah. in the season, but I do think there are plenty of players that could be on the trade block. There's not many of high value. Uh, Redeem Zahorna, not really high value. That's probably somebody yeah. that you see get placed on waivers and get buried in the minor leagues if he continues to play the way he has. P.O. Joseph might have some value, but right now it's probably as, as at its lowest point. If you wanted to trade him with any value, you would have had to do it in the offseason. Ricardo Raquel, I don't think gets traded at least anytime soon because he's injured, and they mm-hmm. want to see if when he comes back and he's healthy, if he starts to look more like the player that they had last season. Riley Smith is an interesting conversation because... At the end of the day, the Penguins acquired him for nothing. And Riley Smith, let's face it, was this exact player as a member of the Florida Panthers. Yeah, he had good moments, but overall, he was kind of lackluster in Florida. That's why they got rid of him. That's why they basically handed him to the Vegas Golden Knights. And in Vegas, he flourished. Mm -hmm. Was that just the only place that he can flourish? I don't know. But I don't think even, even if he was just acquired by Kyle Dubas, because if that's the only marker we're setting, that's half of this team because Kyle Dubas at the end of the day came in and said, listen, we don't know how this is going to work because we're going to put so many new faces into this organization because it was so bad before we need to try something new. And he did. He, he brought in a rash of new players. Mm-hmm. And to this point, it hasn't worked. Now you're what, 25, 26 games in. That's when you start to see, OK, that's what this team actually looks like. 26 games in. And it's not looking good. So that's when Kyle Dubas says, okay, time to reevaluate and time to restructure again because that's what this season is going to be about. Nobody, I think, believed that he was going to be able to go and look at all these different players from different places. Eric Carlson from here, Nola Chari from here, Lars Eller from here. Put them all together and exactly know what he was going to get. 
but he was hoping he was going to get a better result than this. So I do think that there's a couple trades coming, whether that is a big name like a Raquel or a Smith, whether that is a massive move like a Brian Rust. I'm not exactly sure if his full no move clause ended last year or if it's still in until post, I I think till post next season. So Brian Rust is off the table, but I do think that something is coming down to Pike. I'm not exactly sure what he can do, but again, NHL general managers have pulled off trades before where nobody else believed they could. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle Dubas has something up his sleeve as a failsafe here because his organization is not running the way that he wanted it to in year one. But like I mentioned, there are free agents out there that could come in for pretty cheap. Josh Bailey is one. Another one that I looked at because this is off of something Rob Rossi put out on X last night. He said a lot of people... On Penguins X are, are talking about net front presence like they're they're you know at the dollar store and you could just pick them up. There's not very many out there. There's one on the free agent market that while he's not a big guy, net front presence guy, set the tone guy, he's somebody that I think would help the power play in that capacity, and that's Zach Parise. What is he up to? Because he scored 21 goals last year. Hmm. There was a lot of belief in the offseason that he was going to go back to the New York Islanders and it never materialized. If he wants to play, this is a guy that is great at redirecting the puck. He's not on Joe Pavelski level, but he's somebody that is really good at finishing in front of the net. He had 21 goals again last season, like I mentioned. Maybe that's a guy you bring in. Phil Kessel's another conversation you have to have. He was always great on the power play. I mean, it's a conversation you have to have. I wouldn't do it personally because I don't think that that fits what this team needs to be. I think that, you know, his lack of defensive ability in general is something that's probably too much of a negative for the Penguins, not to mention where does that personality fit? with Malkin, who's at his wit's end, with Crosby, who's at his wit's end, with Mike Sullivan, who might be coaching for his job sooner rather than later. Like, how does that element fit into what the Penguins are doing? And is he good enough on the power play to elevate a 30th-ranked unit to being something manageable? I don't know about that. Like, is it something that I would rule out? No, because right now the Penguins are one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. But I think that there's better options out there than Phil Kessel personally. You're right. It is a conversation that you have. It's likely a quick one, though. Yes. It is likely a uh, Phil Kessel. No. All right, moving along. Yeah. Next on the agenda. But you're right, because at this point, nothing can be off the table. Nothing. Nothing can no. be off the table. Maybe just the core. Everything else deserves a conversation, no matter how short or long it is, because it's gotten to this point. It has gotten to this point of, we're having that genuine Brian Russ discussion. His, his full no move is until next year. And honestly, we don't want to move him yet because he looks that good right now. Yeah. Uh, Ricard Raquel, he just hasn't been able to pick it up. There's that issue. It's just not flowing. And he's injured, so that hurts. Yeah. I like Nolachari a lot, so I don't think that one's a... I mean, again, he's probably that's an option to be on the table, but I think that's one of those shorter conversations of Nolachari leave him around he's been he's been good i'd like him as his game in the as a fourth line center you just move along Pio joseph might be the biggest piece we have because we the penguins have so many options behind him and yeah. that's kind of yeah you're right that is an oof because i mean ricardo kell would be but i think the start of the season he's had has plummeted that value um to the point where it becomes Pio joseph because of that youth that 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 honest to god potential he has uh, he just has to find it again yeah he's 24 um, years old he's yeah. 24 
and people are burying him like he's not an NHL prospect. He was good last season. He was great last year. Yeah. So I don't, again, five bad games this year. Who knows when he got injured because that popped out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I don't know that this team has a lot of question marks right now, and it'll be fun to wait and, and watch those question marks turn into answers. But at this point, there hasn't been very many. What I, again, I forget how many games into the season we were at, at this point, like 26, 25 games into the season, but um, they're 10, 11 and two or something like that. So like, 11, 11 and three. Okay. So 25, not five points in 25 games. We're doing not good. 82 game pace or 82 point pace. Not, not great, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's answer some of your questions. You were great, uh, gracious enough to send us your questions on the Pens mailbag, and we are going to answer them coming up after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. We're opening up the Penguins mailbag for the first time in the 2023-24 season. A little nervous to see what questions we were going to get, but you guys did not disappoint. Uh, We're going to talk in this second segment specifically about the Pittsburgh Penguins power play. A couple of you asked. We're going to try to answer here in the next 10 to 15 minutes. Scott on YouTube said, should Carlson be taken off power play one and quarterback power play two. They aren't getting used to him being all over the place. Just a thought. Horwat, should the Penguins consider taking Eric Carlson off of the first power play unit going forward? I like that it is just a thought because you're right. It is a thought. Everyone everyone is up for grabs when it comes to the power play. Um, any changes could be made. Any changes might be made. Any changes will be made. Um, honestly, if it's, I don't hate the idea just because I'm at the point of, screw it, fire everything into the cannon. Uh, you want to take Sidney Crosby off of it? I mean, that's not a smart idea, but go for it. Put him on the second. See what happens. Dumb idea, but you get what I'm saying. It It is at the point of nearing all-time lows in terms of streaks like this um, that, yeah, give that a try. See what, see what works. See what doesn't. Put Eric Carlson on the second because you're going back to your tried and true of Latang on the point with the guys you had last year. The only holdback I have from that is that, yeah, the power play last year scored a little more, but it wasn't great last year either. It wasn't. I know Mike Sullivan fought tooth and nail to say it was, but it wasn't. It wasn't good enough. It was 19th? 14th. 14th. Um, That's not good enough. And I'm not saying Eric Carlson adds so much more, but if – I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's not like last year's was that much better in terms of, I I don't know. It, I don't know. I'm thinking they're both pretty bad. We haven't had a good power play <laughs> since the Phil Kessel days, and that's kind of where I'm stuck on where it's. There was the one year. There was the there one was, year with, with Jared McCann, and I think it was 2020 that the power play looked pretty good. But uh, other than that, you're right. I mean, the power play hasn't been consistently good year over year since yeah. Phil Kessel when he was not this old uh, since Phil Kessel was with the Pittsburgh Penguins. But, you know, 14th, if the Penguins had the 14th ranked power play right now, they would have a much better record and they'd have a much better position in the standings. And while yes, 14th at the end of the day should not be the end all be all for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They ran the same system or a very, very similar system last year than they're running this year. The only difference is 
Carlson and Latang at the point and whoever is cycling in on the left flank. So why not give it a shot? At least they were 14th last year, but I don't think the issue at this point, because the issue was personnel and system together. At this point, it's just mental. It doesn't matter who you change, what you change about the system. It's a mental hurdle that they have to pass. When they score that first goal, is it going to be, all right, the monkey's off the back. Let's get it going now. We're, we're good. That's all we needed. The mental drive is back. Or is it the system? The problem is, I think it's a little bit of both. And right now, the mental is making things worse and worse and worse. And you're seeing these power play opportunities get worse and worse and worse as time goes on. 0 for 1 to 0 for 11 straight wasn't as bad as we're seeing 0 for 26 to 0 for 34. Because these last couple of games, the power play has not just been bad. It has been hilariously bad. And it has been probably historically bad to the level of how many opportunities they've given up. How often they are giving up the puck. How often they're not in their own zone on the power play. They're just sitting in the neutral zone trying to break the puck in. And they're not succeeding. So... Yeah, I think it's a thought. I think it's a thought that they should probably explore because while Carlson, yes, is an immense offensive talent, he's never really been the leader of all that great power plays. If you look back through Eric Carlson's career, which I did yesterday because watching the game was a drag, so I started looking up some stats, Eric Carlson has only ever been on one power play unit that has finished ranked 10th or higher. That was in 2018-19, the San Jose Sharks were ranked 6th on the power play. Outside of that, Eric Carlson has never been on a top 10 power play. And especially the last couple of years in San Jose, it was pretty bad. 25th, 22nd, 29th, and 23rd following up that 6th ranked power play in 2018-19. So while it might not be him, some of those San Jose Sharks teams were very bad, especially last year and the year prior. It might not be him, but at some point you have to notice that he's never really been on a good power play. And you have a lot of other options. It's not like you don't have Chris Letang waiting in the wings to quarterback that power play and somebody else that can take the left flank. So here's <clears throat> this also did get me thinking. You mentioning that the uh, Carlson's power play, uh, Carlson's power plays have never really been top ten in the league. Whenever the Penguins acquired him, one of the first big questions was: Is where does he go on the power play? Where does he fit? Um, there, I remember a lot of people saying that he should be on the second because Chris Letang has been manning the Penguins' first power play for how long now? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Chemistry is there. There has been a track record of more success. Uh, but that was never explored. I think because pretty quickly we found out that uh, Letang was willing to relinquish his duties there and take on a more defensive role. We found that out pretty quickly. And for what it's worth, Chris Letang has been phenomenal on both sides of the puck this year. Yeah. Uh, great puck mover right now. I mean, you know, maybe the points aren't at the same level. Again, imagine where Cindy Crosby and Jake Gensel's Cindy Crosby is on a 51 goal pace. At least he was. Imagine what that pace would be would be if the power play was moving. Yeah. Crystal Tang would probably also have higher numbers. Again, he's only got two goals, eleven assists in through these games, but his defensive acumen's been great. I think it it was putting Eric Carlson on the second unit was something that was never explored. Um, yeah. And whenever the Penguins acquired him, I think that was almost a lot of people's immediate jumping point. Okay, second line right or second line right defense, obviously because Crystal Tang won't relinquish that spot. And then second line power play. 
and but it was never explored again i think just because pretty quickly we found out that crystal tang's willing to give it up then when training camp started it was both of them and i liked that idea and in hindsight like i think i still do like that idea but it's just not clicking Mm -hmm. something's not working again might be the system might be the schemes maybe they're just not shooting it enough I, i mean everything is going wrong for it that I don't hate the more I think about it, the more I'm thinking, sure. Why not put a plot on the second and see what happens. If you pull, if you put them on the second though, for the love of God, give that line more time, get more than the 15, 30 seconds. than they get really actually give that second unit an opportunity to do something. I'm not saying that they're deserving of it, but you're putting Eric Carlson out there who can do great things. And what was one of the big reasons why we got him? His five on five numbers were insane. Yeah. It wasn't for his power play acumen, it's because his five on five numbers were nuts. No, because as I just mentioned, his power play acumen is, is not yeah. is not quite an actual acumen. It, it's not great. So here's my thing. We played we the Penguins played yeah, Tampa Bay twice in the last week. They played Philly twice in the last week. Name me one player on their second power play unit, either team. You, oh, you can't, because uh, they don't play. No. Well, because I couldn't name half the Flyers roster right now because they're a bunch of, not bombs. No, but, but the point I'm just trying to make is... They don't play, yeah. Coming into this season, I don't know why, all of a sudden, they you bring in Eric Carlson, that's why. You bring in Eric Carlson, you put Crystal Tang on the second power play, and now all of a sudden the second power play unit is something that you're striving to actually care about? You shouldn't have to worry about your second power play unit. It doesn't matter. Because if you have a good power play, your second power play unit is drinking water for two minutes. Less than two minutes. is drinking water for 45 seconds before the first power play scores a goal. And then they hand, stand up for hockey handshakes. You need to have a good first power play unit. Screw the second unit. Who cares what the second unit is like? The second unit only goes on the ice when the first unit is as embarrassing as this first unit is. So at the end of the day, I don't care what the second unit looks like. The second unit could be. Jeff Carter. Everybody's saying, why is Jeff Carter on the second power play unit? I wish Drew O'Connor would get that opportunity. Who cares? The second power play unit is not important. It's not. Because if you're using your second power play unit, that means your first power play unit sucks. That's where the Penguins are at right now, and I understand that. But if you want to have a good first power play unit, let's start thinking like that. Eric Carlson does not historically have great numbers on the power play. Eric Carlson's not a power play player anymore. That's that's the mindset that should be had, at least going forward. Put Chris Letang back at the point, and like Scott said, I mean, we're going very long on Scott's question, so I hope I hope you're enjoying this, Scott. Like Scott said, go back to what they had last year. 14th, a 14th ranked power play right now would have the Pittsburgh Penguins in a playoff spot. So at the end of the day, if you're going to take Carlson off the top power play, I would endorse that move because at the moment, it's not working. 25 games into the season, it's not working to the point that they are 30th in the National Hockey League. So at the end of the day, that's where I think I'm at with Carlson when it comes to the power play. We should get to Grant's question, which is also about the power play. Grant asked, seems to me that the five on five is pretty good to fix the power play. Might it make more sense to just run out the first line plus two, two defensemen and have a man advantage? Also, and we'll, we'll we'll answer this one really quickly first. Reardon seems to be good on the PK, but not the power play. Instead of firing him, can we just bring in an assistant coach to run the power play? Grant, uh, you might not have known this. Um, it's fine. Not everybody knows this. Todd Reardon does not coach the penalty kill. That's Mike Vellucci. We've got to give Mike Vellucci his flowers because he's done a great job with the penalty kill. Although last couple of games, not so much, but that's the ebbs and flows of a season, like a normal special teams unit. It's not just, we're going to suck for 
28 straight days or whatever the power play's done. So Reardon struggling on the power play. The first line plus two D-men is, is essentially what they did last year. The only difference is the one D-men was just Evgeny Malkin. Because it was Rust, Gensel, Crosby, Latang, one D-men, and then they just put um, Evgeny Malkin out there. So what would you think if it was the first line, if Rust is healthy? We got to wait for that. Plus Chris Latang and Marcus Pedersen. What would you think of that power play unit? I mean, that's kind of what I... That's part of what I answered in the first one, too, is at yeah. this point, anything works, eh? Yeah. I, I give all of it a shot. I don't mind that. And even last year, it, it really was, like you mentioned, the first line plus Evgeny Malkin. Mm-hmm. It was Crosby, uh, Gensel, Rust, slash Raquel, because you got to remember Raquel led the team in power play goals last year. Yeah. not saying that's the answer, by the way, just stating that fact. Just a little tidbit. Yeah. Um, And then Malkin took over for whoever... Brian Dumoulin uh, on the point. So that's essentially what they've always done. And I've always found it kind of interesting that that's how power plays run. It is essentially your first line. And again, like I said, at this point, fire anything out there, see if it works. And I don't hate that idea at all. I think I'm, I'm all for it. Um, Mostly because it is kind of what we have already. Chris Letang up there with, I, I mean, Marcus Patterson is a good puck mover. Where would this team be without him? They'd probably give up far fewer uh, shorthanded opportunities, too. Yeah. Or at least a couple fewer. Um, I don't hate the idea, and we'll see what happens when P.O. Joseph returns as well, considering he might get a nice little push. He can be a good puck mover if given you know proper encouragement and proper confidence. Now, to the second part of that question. Should the Penguins bring in another assistant coach to to help run the power play? I don't think they'd bring in somebody in an assistant coach manner, but right. you look at what the Ottawa Senators just did with former Pittsburgh Penguins assistant Jacques Martin, bringing him in to be uh, Martin's plan was a senior advisor. But Steve Steyo said Martin will serve as a day-to-day resource to the Ottawa Senators coaches. So just basically a consultant, one of the best jobs you can get in the history of the world. You're getting paid to give your opinion. A consultant. Should the Penguins bring in a consultant for the Pittsburgh for the power play to help coach that or to help figure out what is wrong with it? I think that there's no way that that could be a bad thing, right? I mean, you could bring somebody. It's not going to get much worse. 30th to 32nd is not a drastic drop. So if you have somebody in mind and somebody that is a power play mind has an acumen for thinking the power play and structural advantages of a power play then yeah I would say go for it now who's available out there I'm not exactly sure how much how hands-on he had we'd have to ask Jacob Kearney of the hockey news but how much did Jay Woodcroft have in building that Edmonton Oilers power play last season because it was the best in the history of the league Mm -hmm. so how much of that system would Jay Woodcroft be able to bring in an advisory role. You're not giving him a head coaching job. You're not giving him an assistant coaching job. Bring him in as an advisor. Have him go out there when they're practicing power play and say, this is the system we ran and slowly start to integrate it. You're not going to be able to switch it overnight, but slowly start to integrate it, especially, you know, you, you played what? Four games in the last seven days. The schedule gets a little bit less dramatic as you inch towards Christmas before it picks up again in the new year. It's tough to really... <clears throat> Excuse me. Add coaching staff, add consultants, add people of that nature to a crew like this. Um, I, I don't, I don't know about bringing 
I mean, like, like you mentioned, bringing consultants in, bringing advisors in is a great idea. I was trying to pull up the staff and see how many we already had. Yeah. Um, I mean, Amanda Kessel and Trevor Daly are here as special assistants, but for GM purposes. Yeah. But again, it's a pretty wide bottleneck these days in the front office where there's a lot of communication going on between front office and coaching staff. So I'm sure that could be an option uh, if you need outside more outside eyes giving their thoughts. Um, if anything, I'm more on the train of making an announcement that Reardon has relinquished power of the power play to somebody else, it, whether it be Sullivan, whether it be Mike Volucci even. Um, cause he's, cause Mike Volucci, cause he, the weird dynamic of Volucci and Reardon is Reardon covers the power play and the defenseman. Volucci covers the forwards and the penalty kill. Okay. So maybe, you know, Reardon relinquishes power to the power play and just makes Mike Volucci a full special teams coach as well as doing whatever he does with the forwards. I really don't know what it is. Um, but maybe that's a an aspect that they can do. Make Reardon still associate coach because that's the thing. He's not an assistant. He is an associate, whatever that means. That means they gave him a, a, a bump in pay to stay as an assistant coach for the Penguins. That's, that's In my eyes, that's all that is. That's probably is all it is. And that whenever his time is done here, he has a better title to go find another job. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying lose Todd Reardon. The defense loves him. The, the defensive guys love Todd Reardon. Chris Pedersen's- Letang especially. Chris Tang loves him. Pedersen has brought him up by name a couple of times with me. Um, the defense loves him. He probably makes, especially because there's been a bunch of new faces on this defense, he probably makes it easy for those guys to get into the system. So Reardon can still absolutely man the defense um, and still stick around. I'm not saying Reardon should be losing his job, but relinquishing power to the power play should maybe be part of the conversation. Hmm. Make that kind of a big known thing so fans can calm down and expect something different i mean mike Volucci is no slouch behind the bench let's remember this too he did interview um for the anaheim job this past summer again it's anaheim it would be his first head coaching job but it is an nhl job no less and think of the, some of the players on that team he is a forward specialist uh anaheim's got Trevor zegris names all of a sudden escape <laughs> leo carlson is the, is the big one this year leo carlson's the new big one that is still an NHL job that he was for a time up for. So maybe hand over the keys to Volucci, see what he's able to draw up and decipher. So whereas bringing people in, not a bad idea. Don't know how much money FSG wants to continue throwing out to that. Yeah. But also uh, I would just say it has to come down to a relinquishing of power. Not to mention options are limited right now. A lot of people that are worth giving a job to have a job currently, and they're not going to leave it to be a consultant. I mean, most of them are assistant coaches. Most of them are already consultants. Most of them are coaches in the AHL. And whether it's an AHL to NHL jump, most coaches are not going to leave their current organization to join another one midseason. Not to mention, I don't think you can do that. Uh, I think that's highly against probably the rules of the NHL. But, you know, that leads into another question that we'll answer in the final segment. We're running late here, so we're going to speed it up in the next segment. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, more Penguins mailbag at the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the tip of the iceberg mailbag edition talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins who right now are losers of three straight and sitting outside of a playoff spot as of December 7th. Glots or Glots on YouTube. Not sure uh, which one it is. YouTube thumbnails or YouTube names are always very interesting to me. Uh, does Ricard Raquel go back with Malkin or does DOC stay with Malkin until Raquel starts scoring upon return from injury? We talked about this a little bit. I believe it was either Tuesday or last Thursday on the episode. I would think Raquel starts with Malkin when he returns personally, but the Pens don't seem certain about their combinations, so maybe they put them with Crosby for the first time this season and see if that works. Last night, obviously, they put the struggling Riley Smith up there for 20 minutes before you know relegating him to the third line by the time the second period had started. But I would imagine more likely than not, Raquel starts with Malkin. And again, another factor in this is, is Brian Rust healthy right now, which we don't know at this moment. Yeah, we don't know about the Brian Rust thing at the moment. Um and here's a here's a new one for you. As much as you're right, does Ricard Raquel go back on the second line or does he drop to the third? Ricard Raquel likely goes back and hits the second line because you need that trickle-down effect um, for the rest of the lineup to put the bottom six back into its place. Uh, but I have a third option for you. Okay. How about both stay on the second line and we drop Riley Smith down a line because, boy, is he not doing great. Okay. So there you go. I, I mean have if you like because if the penguins do seem to like drew o'connor in these top six roles they played him with Sidney crosby whenever rust was out they instead of pushing him back down to the top to the bottom six immediately uh they stuck him with evgeny malkin maybe keep those two together again a little longer carter kell returns boom carter kell gets his right side drew o'connor plays on the left now i know that the thing about the wings this year as much as you know you want to say they're on their off wing they're on the proper the wrong wing whatever Mike Sullivan does not care this year. They made a big emphasis this training camp that everyone can kind of play every position, mm -hmm. especially in the defense and especially with those depth wingers, that they can cipher them kind of whichever side of the center they need to. So I don't know how much they planned on sticking to that, but it is something they worked on. Mm -hmm. So Drew O'Connor could easily, maybe not easily, but can function on that other wing. Well, and for what it's worth, we are throwing everything against the wall here. Riley Smith yeah. is not performing, and does he quote unquote deserve that top that top six spot? No, it doesn't seem like it right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny because O'Connor played the first portion of the season on the left side on the third line, and then as soon there as go. there were injuries, he moved over to the right side. There's actually only two wingers, and I might be missing one, but only two wingers that I can think of off the top of my head that have not switched sides this season. Jake Gensel has stayed on the left, and Jeff Carter stayed on the right, and that's it. I think Brian Rust has stayed, but he's also been injured. I mean, because that first line has stayed put all the entire time he's been healthy. Yeah, he did play on the well, on the right side yesterday, at least to start yeah. with with Malkin and and O'Connor moved over to the left. That makes sense. So I guess you know add him as well, and Raquel has stayed on the the right as well, but he was injured. But I mean, played in every game and stayed on the side. The only ones that I can think of are are Gensel and, and Carter. So it, Matt Nieto, if you really want to start getting he he played on like, the right side. Um, he did. I missed that then, but yeah. For it's... one of the games earlier in the season when Carter was out, Hinnestros was ah, on the left. Yes. Okay, yes. Yeah, so at the end of the day, you know, we'll see what happens. Obviously, a lot can change because Raquel can't come back until middle of next week. They got to play a game on Friday. They got to play a game, I believe, on Tuesday of next week against the Arizona Coyotes that he won't be available home. for. Um, and Brian Rust's status... It's an upper body injury. He missed games due to an upper body injury a couple weeks ago. So if it's the same thing, 
Probably not lower. a good sign. I'll just toss it. I think it was lower last time. Okay. Well, regardless, we'll see what happens with that. We don't know at the at the present moment. But let's move over to the next question. RDPQ on YouTube asks, if Mike Sullivan gets fired, take out the conversation about whether or not he will. But if he does, because we talked about that a lot at the end yep. of the last episode. That's why we make the joke. If he gets fired, who would be the best available coach to replace him this season? That's almost impossible to ask, right? Like, or to answer, right? Who's who is even available? Because we're midway through the season, everyone has their job. Yep. You don't want to bring Mike Babcock in just because of no. bad culture. No, no, um, Babcock should not coach again in the NHL. Exactly, and you're you're likely not going to pick from, um, you're not going to pick from your AHL system. You'd have to really have some faith in someone else's, and that just doesn't seem likely. You're no. not gonna, you're likely not gonna pick from juniors, especially at this time of year. No, again, you're, nobody's leaving their team mid-season. Yeah, unless I, I mean, it's possible. I mean, the Oilers did do that. They did pull from the New York Rangers system. Yeah, I mean, there was a ton of connections there. It was Connor McDavid's OHL coach. It was someone the gm or somebody at that in that in that front office i forget who exactly spoke extremely highly of and it was everyone knew it was only a matter of time that chris knobloch was going to be the head coach of the edmonton oilers the the cards just sped things up yeah this time around the penguins may have connections like that around i just can't think of any right now and the penguins need success right away mm-hmm. i mean in high, it's sometimes you think, well, Todd Reardon used to be an NHL co- an NHL head coach. That option has sailed, and I think we can all agree on that. Mike Pellucci has has had that opportunity. Like I said before, he interviewed for Anaheim, but that's if you're keeping it in house. That's what I think go, would happen, though. Like if the Penguins were to fire Mike Sullivan midseason, at this point, it would not go to Todd Reardon. I think historically, it probably would have, but considering. Everything surrounding PR. everything surrounding Todd Reardon, the fan base would explode and ticket sales would plummet if Todd mm-hmm. Reardon was named the head coach in favor of Mike Sullivan. But I do think it would probably be Mike Bellucci because I don't see J.D. Forrest being that Dan Bilesma, Mike Sullivan character. So I think it would probably go to Mike Bellucci in season. Um, the guys that are outside of the organization, I'm not sure if the Penguins would reach out to them in season. They would probably go outside the organization after the season. But, I mean, if the guys out there... Maybe Gerard Gallant, like maybe Gerard Gallant, because he coached Riley Smith in Vegas. He got the best out of Riley Smith in Vegas. He's coached some talented teams over the past year. Most recently from 21 to 23, he was the New York Rangers head coach. So he knows how to deal with high talented teams and he brings in a little bit of grit as far as his personality. I I think he's a player's coach too. So, you know, you're not bringing in somebody that's going to immediately rub Crosby and Malkin and Latang the wrong way. So, I think Gerard Gallant might be an option. Dean Everson might also be of similar facet, beloved, but still kind of a hard-nosed, gritty, blue-collar coach. So, you know, these are all names. I'm not exactly sure if any of them are going to actually have any connection with the Penguins, and it might not matter because Mike Sullivan might not get fired. But I just see midseason, I don't see the Pittsburgh Penguins going outside the organization. Although... With Kyle Dubas being so fresh to the organization, I'm not sure how, how close his ties are with it, but I would assume that, you know, more than likely, I would say it's probably Mike Bellucci that gets the call to be the head coach. So that's just a gut feeling on my end, reading the tea leaves the way they're currently sitting. Yeah, it feels like it would be Bellucci kind of in an interim role yeah. to kind of close out the year or if they find someone that they, someone that opens up. Yeah. Um, 
Dean Evison and Jay Woodcroft also do come to mind right away because of recency in yeah. the NHL. They were just there. I mean, the NHL, Jay Woodcroft. Yeah, I was about to say the NHL loves just cycling coaches through organizations. Exactly. So, so immediately they kind of jumped to the top of the list too because yeah. there are really only of 32 teams, 37, 38, maybe 40 actual, total. Yeah, actual names that you always jump to. Chris Knobloch is one that joined this frat, so it's. <laughs> Yeah, he's now he's involved in it, but it's so those two come to mind right away. I don't know much about them. I just know that, you know, Jay Woodcroft was by terms in terms of winning percentage, the highest the winningest head coach in Edmonton Oilers history. Yeah. But again, short time there. Um, and Dean Evison, I guess, was really well liked in Minnesota. But yeah. that team is just they took the thing about Minnesota right now is they just seem to have taken quicker action. Than the Penguins did. Yeah. In, I mean, obviously Mike Sullivan has job security, but they took pretty quick action in beginning their changes and getting their team back on pace. And if that doesn't come up for them, Bill Guerin's going to be out of a job. Yeah. Hey, if we need another front office face, I'm sure Billy G would be happy to come back. But <laughs> I, I don't know in what role. Maybe he becomes next GM, and yeah, now I'm talking next summer. I should yeah. shut up right there. <laughs> I mean, hey, you're, you're you're looking into the future. That's a good thing right there. Uh, but let's get to the last question from today's mailbag. Dave on YouTube asks simply, uh, not a simple answer, uh, pretty simple answer. Is Eric Carlson overrated or what? <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. I think Eric Carlson is a great player. Like we kind of said before, is he doing great on the power play? No. Is he holding it back? I don't think he's holding the power play back necessarily. I just think things aren't going right. Overall, though, I mean... We picked up Eric Carlson for his five on five numbers and Hey, those have looked pretty good. So, um, you know, the struggle has been real recently, but I think that's it. That's been real for everybody recently. Um, overall though, I don't think he's overrated. I think he's definitely a net positive for the team still. And I mean, he's a plus 12 right now. I did not know that Eric Carlson's a plus 12 right now. So, there are definite positive things happening. You have to figure uh, if he's his career high in plus minus is plus 16. That happened in his third year. Uh, if you're worried about that kind of stat, but yeah. it, it, that means, I mean, here's the thing about Eric Carlson though, because he is historically a severe minus player. The fact that he is skating on a team right now that is mediocre at best and still a plus 12. That's something to really look at actually. So, no, he's not overrated. I think there are just things not going right in certain areas, and that goes for everybody. Eric Carlson is included in that and doing really well, though. Yeah, I think a lot of this question and the answer to this question goes based on what your expectations were of Eric Carlson to begin with. Um, if you expected him to come in and be the savior of the Pittsburgh Penguins and all of a sudden they're a top three team in the Eastern Conference, you might look at him as overrated, but simply because I think you overrated him in your own mind. I, I think mm -hmm. as far as... Most people's, you know, idea of Eric Carlson, he's appropriately rated. I, I think he's an immense offensive talent, and he's proven that. Even in games like last night, you looked at some of the plays that he made, and they're plays that only he could make because he has that supreme talent. Now, is he on a bit of a scoring drought right now? Yes, that's why I think, you know, the topic and the conversation surrounding Eric Carlson is getting so much louder because he has two points in his last nine games. So if you're expecting him to be the 100-point Norris Trophy-winning Eric Carlson, then you're probably going to be disappointed this season because we've said all along, he's not going to repeat a 100-point performance. It is very unlikely that he's going to be able to do that. But if you expected him to be, 
elite offensively, making very stellar plays offensively, and scoring at a clip that is, you know, for most defensemen in the NHL, above average, that's exactly what you're getting. I'm personally, you know, yes, he's a defensive roller coaster. There are some times you look at it and you say, wow. It's a good thing that he is with Marcus Pedersen because I think that's another reason why Mark why they're plus twelve is because Marcus Pedersen is very good at covering up for a lot of Eric Carlson's mistakes and I think that's a, good, a plus thirteen exactly and, and that they're a good yin yang but I also think Eric Carlson has been better defensively than I expected but I also again had very low expectations for Eric Carlson as a defensive defenseman I didn't think that he was going to bring anything to the table defensively so yes. He's exceeded my expectations, but it's only because I had such low expectations for him as a defender. As an offensive player, he's been as good as advertised. He's just struggling right now. And honestly, if I would have looked at his power play earlier, I would not be surprised at what his output has been on the power play either. So he's a five-on-five specialist in the offensive zone. It's what Eric Carlson is. It's what Eric Carlson's been for the first 25 games of his Penguins tenure. Defensively, I think he's been better than expected. Power play... I expected more from him, but I also didn't look at the picture the entire way. Looking at the picture the entire way, seeing that, you know, 27th, 23rd, 26th, 22nd, 14th, 20th, 11th, 15th, 21st, that's where he finished with the auto centers. That was the prime of his career. Some of those were before the Matt Cook injury that severed his Achilles. He still wasn't on good power play teams. So, you know, looking at at it from that lens, I don't think he's overrated. Now, if you thought he was going to be the savior of the Penguins franchise— you probably think he's overrated, and you're probably right in your own eyes, but I think in general, he's not an overrated player. Yeah, it's you just had to temper your expectations coming into it. A lot of people were expecting this, oh man, over the top, another 100-point season. No, no, we knew, me and you knew going into this season, he wasn't going to score 100 points again. I mean, we would be lucky to hit 80 again, honestly. I wanted a point per game. I think we both said like 80 to 90 would be like a great season from Eric Carlson. Yeah, and I think... For me, at least, I, I'm trying to remember exactly. I mean, I'm sure I may have landed on 80, at least, or at least a point per game. That'd be great. But still, a good season from him would be finding that defensive game, which he has done, and then maybe still getting 60, 70. Because mm-hmm. regardless, even a bad season for Eric Carlson is about 60, 70 offensively, and that's still better than anything Crystal Tang has ever put up. And that's kind of the thing that I was always falling back on, that even a down year from Eric Carlson offensively, is going to be the most scoring the Penguins have seen from a defenseman since the 90s. Yeah. So he's probably still on that sort of level. Eric Carlson could probably still hit those best offensive seasons they've seen from a defenseman since that time and still struggle in so many different areas. But yeah. and it's they're going to get great things out of Eric Carlson. He's here for a couple more seasons. So we're going to see him do great things for this team. Yeah. Um, as for the overrated question, though, I don't believe so. I, don't, I think he I is. I don't agree with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I see where people come from. People are angry. They want to see success right away. Yeah, and it is very much a "What have you done for me lately?" fan base, and that's perfectly fine. That's the way it should be, because it ain't much. So I, I just look at his stat line and I go, "Yeah, he hasn't had a points in a couple of games, but his defense has still been decent enough that it's not absolute bedlam." And seeing that plus 12 from him is kind of wild. So he's in, he's taking steps in the right direction in different areas. Yeah. So I think overall he's played great. I leave a lot of the credit for that plus 12 to Marcus Pedersen. I think he should That's honestly, fine. a lot of it should be allocated 
to Marcus Pedersen. Make Marcus Pedersen a plus 25, leave Carlson at an even. And that's probably more so where, where you're looking at the defensive side of it. But like I, like I mentioned, you know, you've been touting Eric Carlson's defensive play and the way that he plays it a little bit differently than this the, the normal Marcus Pedersen type defensive defenseman. But, you know, I think there's been times where I've looked at him and been like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, help him. Yeah. He's not playing okay. defense well. But, you know, for the most part, I, I've been impressed from what I've seen, at least more than I expected. But, you know, we'll see what he's able to do. And the thing about his points, two points in the last nine games, one goal, one assist. Before that stretch, he had, I think, when he had that point streak we were talking about, he had multi-point games in all but one of those games in that point streak. So it, he can go off very quickly and score in bunches and get a lot of assists in bunches. So we'll see if he can turn it around. We'll see if the entire team can turn it around. It's been a scathing episode for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But thank you to everybody that submitted their questions. We're going to do these a little bit more often going forward, especially with the uh, chat function on YouTube that I just discovered, which is nice. And we're getting a lot of interaction on that. So uh, we'll do more mailbags in the future. But we're hitting over an hour, which means it is time to say goodbye. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time.